And so we are continuing, and so far in this series of lessons on prayer, here are some of the things that we've covered. We've covered the ongoing importance of the incarnation in our first lesson, that Jesus coming in the flesh was not only relevant to our being born again, but also to the new life that being born again generates. We've considered that prayer is essential to salvation, that it is a critical area of relationship between each of us and our Heavenly Father. We understand that simply repeating things over and over and even just speaking in tongues mindlessly is not effective prayer. The Lord warned us in Matthew 6 that that was something that the heathen did or people that worshipped false gods. We talked about prayer wheels a little bit and how prayers would be put in these wheels and they would spin them and they would their thinking was that for every rotation the prayer was being said and that somehow by thousands possibly of rotations the prayers were going up thousands of times but when we pray we need to engage both our hearts and our minds be focused on what we're saying and what the lord is wanting to do in us and through us when we pray amen and we if you want to bring me that next slide please brother jonathan we looked at the pattern that we see through the scripture and there's all those arrows going everywhere but what we discussed from this was that each horizontal row represented something that's taken place in the church throughout history that set a pattern that was demonstrated by the vertical arrows and so in the tabernacle in the old testament we had the brazen altar or the place where they offered sacrifice brazen simply meaning made of brass or brass bronze and then we moved across to the laver which was basically a giant wash basin where the priests would wash and be clean before they went into the holy place and we see that when jesus came his death and his burial and his resurrection were in line with that calvary was was a fulfillment of a type that was demonstrated on the altar of sacrifice he was the sacrificial lamb he was buried in baptism in the in the grave and he rose again which is representative of the power of the spirit of the lord and then when we're born again there is repentance which we're going to spend a little bit of time going over again today which is a type of dying to self we are baptized and we are filled with the holy ghost and so this pattern we've, we've seen this pattern many times when we've looked at salvation but this this pattern is not just about salvation but it also has some parallels that are in prayer that pattern of dying or sacrifice of burial of washing or cleansing of entering into the holy place or resurrection of the holy ghost flows throughout scripture it is there by design it is not just something that somebody came up with they were looking at scripture and thought, hey there's this really cool pattern here that nobody's ever seen the lord put it there to demonstrate its importance to give us understanding and to show us that it is timeless that it flows through the history of mankind's relationship with the lord and then the in our second lesson in the second lesson we did we began to consider another pattern which is found in matthew 6 we know as the lord's prayer and we looked at how this pattern has some overlap with the pattern we have on the wall so let's read from matthew chapter 6 let's stand together we seem a little little weary or dreary this morning let's shake our feet and turn to a neighbor and say stay with me this morning brother or sister the pastor will do his best not to preach too long matthew chapter 6 and starting at verse 5 says and when thou prayest 
Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward. They got what they wanted. But thou, when you pray, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. You're not going to get God's attention by massive repetition. It's a relationship. We touched on that last week. Imagine if in, in your, those of you that are married, imagine if you approached your spouse with that level of repetition. Whatever your name, your nickname or your name might be for your husband or your wife, and you said that over and over and over again and followed them around the house, they'd probably hit you with something. Or you'd probably hear them get in the car and take off down the street. It's the same thing. Same principle. Amen. In verse, where were we? Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray you're after this pattern our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen for if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you. You may be seated. Lord, we just come to you this morning. We just pray, Lord, that you would anoint us as we teach your word, that you'd open our understanding. Lord God, don't only just open our understanding, Lord, but stir our desire to apply that understanding. Lord, for knowledge is great, but knowledge with application is where we will see the results. So, Lord, we just pray. Help us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things we touched on late in the second lesson was from verse 9, where it underlines or underscores the importance of the need to approach God with worship. But we also acknowledge that when we truly recognize who He is, it also reveals who we are. And we recognize that we are flawed, that we are sinful humanity, not that we might beat ourselves over the head, but we might then have a greater appreciation for who he is and what he's done for us and when we align this understanding with the pattern we have from the old testament of altars and of calvary we see that even though we may be born again of water and spirit there is still a need to obey romans 12 and 1 which hopefully you've still got your finger in which paul said i beseech you therefore he didn't say I'm presenting this as a list of one of many options. He said, I beseech, I urge you, I implore you. He was trying to emphasize the point that by the mercies of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, he's writing to a church. He's writing to born-again believers, but he is still emphasizing the need to approach God from the mind point, or the mindset, rather, of having a sacrifice to offer to the Lord in worship, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. We could talk a lot about what it means to be an acceptable sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. For us, the idea of living and sacrifice seem to be opposites. 
Because so often through the scripture, sacrifice involves something dying. But as many of us, we understand a lot of this already, but when we die on the altar, when we present our bodies, it's not the dying of a physical body, but it's the dying of a carnal nature. It's the dying of what we so often call our flesh. And when we use that word, we're not very rarely in the in the services are we talking about your muscles and your bones but we're talking about that sinful nature that resides within us that's what has to be offered upon the altar because when it still lives or in other words when when we haven't made that decision to 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 put to death those sinful desires we're approaching god in a conditional fashion i'm going to say that again when we do not consciously surrender everything about ourselves to Him and approach Him, it's conditional, not unconditional. And we might have faith, we might generally desire His presence, but unsurrendered humanity does not desire His purpose. And there's a difference between just the desire of His presence and the desire of His purpose. They're not the same thing. To desire to feel the presence of God is completely understandable. I love to feel the presence of God. God still surprises me. I'd be driving down the road, listening to some music, and the presence of God just comes into the car, or I'm at home doing something apparently mundane, and the presence of the Lord just shows up. I hope that never stops. I love to feel His presence. There's, there's nothing wrong with desiring to feel the presence of God. God forbid we should come into this place and not feel the presence of God. And while that desire is understandable, if it is the main focus or measure of our prayer time, it then becomes dictated to by the roller coaster ride of our emotions. And then what happens is when we come to pray, and we don't feel what we expect to feel or what we're hoping to feel, it leads to disappointment in God because we don't feel His presence, and that can lead to being discouraged from continuing the discipline of prayer. I didn't feel God today. Why should I pray tomorrow? And that approach is inconsistent. And while, while we may not do it consciously, praying because of what we want or what we need to feel is actually about our will and not His. That's what it's about. Amen. Please do not misunderstand me. Again, it is wonderful to feel His presence. It is hard to comprehend and explain what it means when we're in that place where He reassures us of His love for us and His nearness to us and His compassion for us and He wants us to feel all those things. Those are things that Jesus wants. He wants you to know He loves you. He wants you to know that He is as close as the mention of His name, as the old song says, that He is our very present help in time of trouble. That's all good. But when we die to the flesh and offer ourselves as that sacrifice, as an act of obedience, prayer becomes something more than just feeling His presence. Amen. It becomes, we, we begin to transition into a, 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 an area where it becomes wanting what He wants, desiring what He desires. And that next verse, in verse 10 of Matthew 6 says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now they're easy words to say, but often when we go to prayer, if we're honest, there's a whole lot of our will in the picture. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. 
Lord, fix this problem, fix that situation, make me feel better. And all of that has a place to a point. But genuine offering of oneself as a living sacrifice is about His will being done, His kingdom coming, and it being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we die, what He wants becomes what we want. And when we offer ourselves truly as a sacrifice, then we want His power. We want His grace. We want His mercy, His salvation, His deliverance to be seen among us in the here and now. Amen. All of the feeling His presence is good, but that's, that's, that's only the entry level, if you like, of prayer. And as we are led by the Spirit, we will be directed to pray according to His will. That's what's so important. Amen. Because it is God's will that matters more than anything else. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. If you haven't closed your Bibles, keep them handy. We'll look at a bit of Scripture here this morning. Matthew 6 and 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father, this is verse 14 now, will also forgive you. Verse 15 says, But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The theme, theme is maybe not a strong enough word, but the focus in this pattern of prayer and the emphasis on forgiving and receiving forgiveness is very prominent. If you look at the pattern the Lord gave us and you divide it up into sections, the area on forgiveness is a large chunk. It's a really big chunk. And the reason for that, or at least one of the reasons, is that the absence of either of those things, the absence of receiving forgiveness or extending forgiveness, destroys our ability to fulfill the first and second commandment. Mark chapter 12, if you've got your Bibles. We're taking some time looking at some Scripture. Mark chapter 12, starting to read at verse 28. You have to understand, when in, in Jesus' lifetime, Israel was still living at least mechanically under the Old Testament law. What the Lord was bringing in and the things that He preached and taught challenged a lot of their thinking. And he, he, he really did challenge... that They had centuries of thinking in about a particular way, and Jesus came in and turned a lot of that upside down. But in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, it says, One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he answered them well, he thought Jesus is handling his questions really well, asked of him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Identified their God. If You need to know who your God is to start with. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So the first commandment included understanding who God was and loving Him with everything you got, putting it simply. The second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, if you read the same account in Matthew, it says that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What that means is when we keep both of those commandments, 
we keep the entire Old Testament law. Because everything in the law that was given to Moses relates to our relationship with him and our relationship with our neighbor. Don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, don't be a false witness. They're all human relationships. The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt have no idols. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. All of those things are about us and him. And so all of the Old Testament law hangs on those two commandments. So when we don't forgive and we don't receive forgiveness, we paralyze our ability to keep those commandments. In fact, we break them. We break those commandments. That's why this idea of receiving and giving forgiveness is a large chunk of the pattern of prayer. Because when we break the first and second commandment, how effective do you think your prayer is going to be? It's not you're going to be, it's going to be like when you feel like you pray and your prayers hit the ceiling and fall back on your head. Because when we break that, we interfere with that flow and that relationship. Here's something I can promise you. I don't like to make a lot of promises. But here's a promise that you can take to the bank. Until Jesus comes, you will continue to need to be forgiven and to forgive. You will continue to be trespassed against and to trespass against others. That's a promise. It'll happen in your family. It'll happen on your job. It'll happen at school. It'll happen in your church. Those things are guaranteed. Now, they are not excused. We are never, whenever we trespass against God or against somebody else, we cannot say, oh, well, it just happens. It's part of life. We are warned to do everything we can not to trespass. But because we're living in a flawed world, it's going to happen. Sometimes it's genuine. Sometimes it's misunderstanding. Sometimes it's a wonderful combination of both. But those things are guaranteed. This is why there's such a strong focus on this in the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord understands that these things, if these things aren't working... If forgiving and being forgiven aren't working, the rest of the prayer is a waste of time. Because I can pray for hours, but if I'm not forgiven of the Lord, my status doesn't change. And if I don't forgive my neighbor, my brother, my family member, whoever it is, it's going to interfere with my forgiveness from Him. And so that's why there is such a... The Lord, you know, when they said to Him, teach us to pray, He could have given them all kinds of examples. He, I mean, I, I hear people pray. There's all kinds of patterns going around. Some good, some not so good. But he gave these things because of their importance and their significance. That's why they're there. In our pattern, if I could have that pattern back up, please, Jonathan. In the Old Testament, let me look at my notes so I don't get this wrong. After death at the brazen altar, after sacrifice, washing took place at the labor or the, the basin after jesus died he was buried after we repent or die to sin we are baptized or buried with him in baptism colossians 2 and 12 says that we're buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of god now this might seem like stating the obvious but you don't bury somebody until they die you get in all kinds of trouble with the police if you try to do that. You don't bury somebody 
until they're dead. And you should not be baptized in Jesus' name until you've repented. Because death precedes burial. And so if you, if you, uh, if you don't repent and you're baptized, it even brings the effectiveness of your baptism into question. That's a Bible study for another time. But what can happen is we can be frustrated and struggle both to receive and give forgiveness while we are still alive to our carnal nature. One of the reasons, and this is for all of us, this is especially for me, I'm not standing up here having it all together telling everybody how it works. One of the reasons that we struggle to forgive is that we're trying to bury a living body. Because the cleansing is associated with the washing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness in terms of our salvation is accomplished through the combination of repentance and baptism. Dying to sin, being washed in the blood of Jesus, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where forgiveness takes place. The Apostle Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So forgiveness, the point of forgiveness is that middle line, if you like, the labor, the burial, the baptism. But it carries on after we're baptized to us in the present. And the principle still applies. If there's no death, there cannot be burial. If flesh lives, you're going to have a hard time with forgiveness because you're trying to bury a living body doesn't work in the natural doesn't work in the spiritual if we want to be in that middle line where cleansing comes where it's received and offered you cannot bypass death amen and that's one of the reasons that we struggle is because the thing that we need to forgive somebody of affects us at the level of our humanity of our flesh that's the way we are we feel but when we die to that carnal nature then we can be cleansed and then we can extend forgiveness as well the question is whose kingdom is it that we want to come is it his or is it ours amen see if we get stuck if we get stuck in a pattern as Christians of going around in circles of only partly dying and being partly buried we will struggle to go on to the holy place and know the resurrection power and the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. Verse 11 of Matthew 6 says, Give us this day our daily bread. This is more than a statement regarding our natural needs, although God takes care of them. How many testimonies have we heard of people getting jobs or things being provided miraculously over and over? God takes care of our needs. But the bread, we draw strength, spiritual strength, nourishment from being in his presence, from hearing his voice, and dying to ourselves. And if you know the pattern of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the only place you see bread is in the holy place. And it's entered into after death and burial. After sacrifice and cleansing, we're able to enter into that place where we are nourished spiritually. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his, of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, when, that, when Job made that statement, he didn't have a Bible. 
So we often, the words of the Lord's mouth, yes, the scripture is the word of God, but it's also getting into that place when we're in prayer where we talk to him and he talks to us and he gives us strength and direction and guidance and correction and all the things that we need for the nourishment of our souls. Job said, that's more important to me than whether I've had breakfast or lunch. And when we fast, I'll just leave that there. Get to bed half past 10 in the morning, you feel like someone's cut your throat. It's amazing how powerful our flesh is. Amen. Let me, let me, be, oh, I don't want to get distracted here. Let me stay on track. Amen. It's in that holy place after death and forgiveness that there is nourishment for our souls. If you know the pattern of the tabernacle, and I need to, I should have some better diagrams up there. In that place, there's light, there's bread, there's prayer and praise that's being accepted before the presence of the Lord. Amen. Verse 13 of Matthew 6 says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you die to yourself, that's something that you've got to do. If you're serious about serving God, it's got to happen every day. As you die to yourself daily and draw close to the Lord, opposition will come. It will increase. Because the devil knows that the more you die to self the more the power of the Lord flows through you and he does not want you powerful he's happy for you to come to church he's happy for you to worship a little bit do a bit of this and a bit of that but as long as you're doing what you want with your life you're not going to have too much impact but he knows that when you die out something resurrects he does not want that to happen and so when we pray we say Lord guide us away from situations and circumstances that will tempt us and that will destroy us don't think you can face temptation the general approach biblically to temptation is get out of there flee take off avoid detour and we have to ask the lord to guide us and we need to be wise enough you know we need to be honest enough about our own flesh Often we get into trouble because we're more confident in our abilities than we should be. We need to just avoid it. Just stay away. Amen. The second part of that verse, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is not just a closing remark, but it reconnects us with verse 10 where the instruction was to pray, thy kingdom come. So if we want to worship him, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We want his name to be holy and exalted. We want to die to ourselves. We want to will, be willing to give and receive forgiveness. We trust him for our daily needs. Then we can be, excuse me, the vessels or the avenue through which his kingdom comes and where he demonstrates his power and his glory. Not our glory, not our power. His power, his glory his kingdom his will there's a pattern there it's all about him it's all about what he wants amen and that's when his kingdom and his will when we get in line with that that's when we'll see the demonstration of his power and his glory I was talking to somebody that was helping me understand some things you know we, we're praying on Wednesday nights and we're praying in particular directions 
if you're going to go into battle spiritually, you want to call it spiritual warfare, call it whatever you like, you don't do that with a half-dead corpse because you're doing it in your own strength. And you'll, you, will, you will be defeated and be defeated badly. If you want victory, that dies so that his power flows through us. Because when we go into battle with his power, it's his victory. We're in his body. The devil is under his feet. That's where it's at. So if you're not at a place where you feel like you really surrender to the Lord, don't be having grandiose ideas of storming the gates of hell. First, we've got to get it right with ourselves. Amen. Amen. The pattern of the tabernacle in the Old Testament was incomplete in what, could, what it could reveal to us. Let me qualify that. Before the blood of Jesus was shed, the, inside the, the, the building itself of the tabernacle, we know there was a veil. There was a petition. It was sectioned off. You couldn't just walk in there. But when Jesus died, in Mark chapter 15, verse 37 to 38, it says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, or he breathed his last breath, and the veil of the temple was rent or torn in twain or in half from the top to the bottom. See, because the veil was still intact in the tabernacle, there was a separation between what they called the holy place and the most holy or the holy of holies but when it was torn in half it demonstrated that the fulfillment of the type for us was not in a in a place where there was an area that was sectioned off but that those two parts became one that he wants us to have access to all of regularly you see if you look at the old testament pattern of sacrifice we know the high priest went behind that veil one day of the year one out of 365 days. But because he gave his life and that veil was torn, if we want to, if we will approach him the right way, we can go behind the veil, if you like, to the, the mercy seat, to between the cherubims where God speaks every single day. It's not an issue of access. It's an issue of desire and approach. There's no veil there anymore. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's try to put this in context with the parallel we're drawing when we're praying. When we offer ourselves, putting this, the pieces together, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, in the fullness of what that means, dying to the flesh, forgiving and being forgiven, we can approach and enter the presence of God, find ourselves at that place where the high priest went once a year with fear but the book of Hebrews tells us that we can come in boldness chapter 10 of Hebrews 19 and 20 says having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest because of all the good things you've done no by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated or set apart for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, I've shared this before, but that veil is unique in that of all the items of furniture in the tabernacle, it is the only thing that will simultaneously in the holy place and the holy of holies. 
in the humanity of Jesus Christ, as God manifest in the flesh, he was simultaneously man and God. He was the only man that's ever breathed that could simultaneously be the king of kings and be one of us. And so when his flesh was torn and then the veil in the temple tore, it made a way of access. That's why he said, I am the door. It made a way of access for us to go all the way in to that which nobody was able to go into. Now, we don't need a gold box and gold cherubims and there's all kinds of different views of what happened to that and who destroyed it and who... The thing is, it's irrelevant. Because when he died was buried and rose again, its purpose ceased to exist. Everything about the Holy of Holies that was separate and anointed was finished. Because he said, now you shall be the temples of the Holy Ghost. Know you not that your bodies are the temples of the Spirit of God. All of that was finished. All of that had been an example to teach us and help us to understand. But now that he had come, we went from the shadow to the body. We went from the outline to the substance through Jesus Christ. Amen. So the purpose, and just wrapping this lesson up for this morning, the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was that we might be saved from our sins and enter into a relationship with Him. The purpose of prayer is the strengthening, developing, and fulfilling of that relationship. His death and burial laid the foundation for his resurrection and the victory that came with that. Our death to self, our burial or our forgiveness, both receiving and giving, is the platform for entering into the power that is available to us. But his will, his kingdom, his power. Not ours. He's not going to make you into some superhero where you can go around doing magic tricks. It's about him being glorified. That no flesh should glory in his presence and it has always been God's desire for his people to be able to come in to the most holy and to meet with him and commune with him and draw strength from him and be directed by him but the reality is I don't want to finish this negatively but the reality is the struggle with our flesh keeps us in the courtyard and not in the presence. When you approach the tabernacle, that massive altar and that massive labor was so prominent, but they only existed for the holy place. They existed to get inside. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost is how we are born again of water and spirit. That is the entry point. Now, in our day-to-day, we want... We, you know, many of us pray and pray sincerely. We ask the Lord, Lord, if I've sinned, forgive me. And He does. But if, if your prayer life lives and dies in the courtyard, you never know the wonders of the holy place. And that's what He wants. And you might be able to stay forgiven and, and get, you know, repent and be cleansed again and again, but there is so much more in the presence of the Lord. Let's stand together this morning. Let's lift our hands and let's just worship Him for